Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I am so excited today to have Lisa Broom and Courtney Bruce here to share their experiences being parents of children with juvenile idiopathic arthritis or now young adults with juvenile idiopathic arthritis. So um, first, I just want to have Courtney introduce yourself. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Like, where do you live and what's your relationship to juvenile idiopathic arthritis? Yes, definitely. Um, I live in Tacoma, Washington, um, born, raised here all my life. Um, we uh, have a daughter, uh, Taylor Bruce, who uh, was diagnosed about 22 years ago uh, when she was 18 months of age with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Um, the actual title we were given at that time was um, posse articular, which means uh, four or less joints. Uh, as she grew, so did her arthritis, and it changed to polyarticular, which means five or more joints. Um, we, she was diagnosed in 2000. In um, 2002, we happened to see a arthritis walk uh, advertised on TV, and I thought, oh, I can do that. I can raise money. I can do this. And so we packed up the car and, and she and I were at the uh, walk. My mom came with us and a high school friend, and that was our team. And so Taylor was in the stroller and we walked uh, Green Lake. Uh, we met um, some awesome, awesome uh, staffers, uh, Joanna Lindsay was one of them, and I was hooked. And ever since then, I've been a volunteer in some form or capacity uh, for the Arthritis Foundation. Uh, we went to uh, day events uh, that they would hold for us. And um, there was a couple of their families at the time that uh, we really bonded with and still are really good friends with. I've been to weddings. I've been to graduations, um, baby showers uh, with those kids. And um, the, those core families and our family helped 
bug, <laughs> put a bug in the ear for the Arthritis Foundation, and Joanna listened. And Joanna helped us set up the very first camp, um, Catfish Camp, which was in 2004. And there were 16 families from that um, back in 2019 was our last in camp due to COVID. Um, we had 70 families. It also spurred off Camp Jam, which is in Oregon, and Camp Arctic, which is in Alaska. And um, it's just an amazing camp um, that we adore. And I have met so many good friends, so many families. Um, my daughter met uh, some really good friends that she's still really good friends with to the day. And uh, it's just the Arthritis Foundation has given us so, so much that I just need to give back. And it's a very positive way for me to deal with my daughter's diagnosis when sometimes it's a very hard disease to deal with. Wow. I'm, I'm in awe of that. And I actually didn't know the camp was so recent. Like when I first volunteered, it was 2000, either 2009 or 2010. And it was already very big at that time. So only five years after you started it, you really managed to grow you and other volunteers and the staffers. You know, when I, when I started volunteering at the camp, there was, you know, Andrea and Joanna and such like a dream team there. So yeah, we, I'll just say, sorry for those listening are like, how do you all know each other? So Tacoma, Washington is only about an hour away from Seattle area where I was born and raised. And so I've met these two wonderful women through, um, through volunteering at the juvenile arthritis uh, camps, uh, catfish camp in through the arthritis foundation. So was, thank you. Thank you. You put like a perfect summary, but now I want to give Lisa the microphone, yes. the literal and metaphorical microphone. What's your relationship to juvenile pathic arthritis? Uh, started out pretty similar. Hi. Um, thanks for having us, by the way, this is so great to be able to talk about what we've been all going through for so long. Um, so my son, Kyle was diagnosed when he was about a year and a half old, about the same as Taylor. He was 18 months. And, um, basically we just, we were very lucky, um, getting diagnosed quickly, but we can get into that more a bit later. Um, so I was going to rheumatology at children's with Kyle, you know, we had all our appointments in Seattle and finally, uh, one of the nurses mentioned this camp, catfish camp, for um, families, whole families um, dealing with juvenile arthritis together. Uh, Kyle was diagnosed similarly with palsy, but then they actually changed the name of his diagnosis to um, oligoarticular, um, and then it went into extended oligo. So he does have more than five joints at this point. Um, it's gone into his jaw and his eyes as well. Um, so, but they just call it extended oligo now. Um, so we got very excited when we heard about this camp and thought, oh, that would be great to meet other families, you know, cause we were still very new. Um, when we heard about it, he was, uh, four or five. So his first camp was when we were five or when he was five okay. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it was just incredible from the first moment. Everyone was so inviting and so welcoming. And we realized we knew practically nothing. You know, I did all the research as a mom you can do. Um, I took home all the, all the pamphlets from the doctor and um, I listened to all the current research and everything I could find, but I didn't realize how involved the disease was until I got to meet other families dealing with it. 
we didn't even know that fatigue was a huge part of it. And that was the big thing for Kyle. We could never understand why he was so tired all the time. He didn't want to play like other kids. He wouldn't play on playground equipment because he was in pain, but also he would get tired throughout the day. So I learned that from other parents, you know, um, like I always tell everyone, you don't get as much time with the rheumatologist as you do with the other parents. So you can only learn so much in clinic. And I learned so much more with the families and I have seriously gotten lifelong friends. I count you two among those, but really RJA family is family. And I don't say that lightly. I don't call anyone really family unless they're really, really my family. And I will, we have these relationships for the rest of our lives. Kyle has friends from this, even our youngest, Ryan, um, who is a sibling, uh, going to these camps since he was a baby and just enjoying himself. Um, he, We all have friends, lifelong family and friends from this camp. Um, also, I wanted to say I did become an ambassador, um, talking to Joanna Lindsay as well. <laughs> um, she recruited me at camp, and I was really nervous at first, but she talked me into it. So um, I'm also an ambassador for the Arthritis Foundation. and have been on the planning committee for a walk. Uh, I've volunteered at Jingle Bell Run and a bunch of other um, uh events that the arthritis foundation puts on, but catfish camp is my favorite. It's very near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. We have many pictures over the years of the different jingle bell runs and the catfish camps. And I mean, I say as somebody diagnosed at age 20 with adult rheumatoid arthritis, I was like, we need camps for all ages because first of all, you're never too old to have fun at camp. But second of all, it is, it's a, it can be a very lonely path, you know, getting diagnosed and with, with something that is so misunderstood, like, you know, a rheumatic disease or any autoimmune disease, you know, really. And so, um, yeah, you've already touched on so many things I wanted to ask, but, you know, I want to just quickly, I always start with the diagnosis journey or diagnosis story, um, just because it that can be such a emotionally, challenging time in, in one's life. And I know you both already touched on the age, you know, both of your children were like a year and a half around when they got diagnosed, but what was, can you, uh, I'll start with you again, Courtney, like walk me through a little bit. Like, what was it like to hear that your one and a half year old had something that might have something to do with arthritis? Like who, whoever thinks that that could be something that could affect a child. Right. What was that like? Terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying, honestly. Um, I come from a medical background. I, um, when, before Taylor, I was a veterinary technician, which is a nurse for animals. And so I had some medical background from that. Um, when I was pregnant with Taylor, I um, decided to switch gears and got into human medicine. And so worked with pediatricians, family practice, um, so on. And it's gone from there. Um, so I had a little bit of knowledge, which made me dangerous, <laughs> to be honest. Um, Taylor's our only child, and um, she was 18 months of age, like I said, when she was diagnosed. And the, actually, the uh, daycare kind of helped us out with that because they um, thought maybe her shoes were bothering her. Um, she had newer shoes, and so they thought maybe that was an issue. Because she started to, she was walking, but she reverted back to crawling and scooting to get around. 
And um, she walked in a different pattern that um, we didn't notice. Um, it at the time was in both her ankles and her right knee and happened to be in her little pinky finger. Um, Taylor was a very chubby baby. So um, didn't notice, honestly, any swelling at the time. Um, her ankles were the same, so they were both swollen. I didn't recognize that. And I don't know how we didn't recognize that her knee was swollen. Um, but we, we just thought, well, you know, we'll check and see what we need to do. So we called the pediatrician. Pediatrician um, said, you know, I'm going on vacation. It might be smart for you to come on in and get checked out. So she did lab work. She did x-rays where they did a um, frog kind of um, position where they um, moved her, her knee. And at the time, that's when I saw it. And I thought, how the heck did I not see this before? What is wrong with me? And so a lot of blaming, um, it, it, where did it come from? How did she get it? Um, the doctor called us that night. She was, like I said, was going on vacation. So it was about 10, 10 o'clock at night when she called me and she said, Courtney, she said, I got some news. And she said, um, with the labs that are showing, it looks like there's some infection going on. And she thought it was a knee infection. And so she says, you need to go in tonight to Mary Bridge Children's Hospital in Tacoma and get admitted. And she needs to get on IV antibiotics right away, or she's going to lose that knee permanently. That was a shock. So I called my husband and I said, I need you home. We're going to the hospital called my parents. I said, we're going to the hospital. They ended up meeting us there, called my boss and said, I'm so sorry, but I'm not going to be in work tomorrow. And I honestly don't know when I'm going to be back, but I will keep you apprised of what's happening. Uh, they admitted us to Mary Bridge that night and um, she and I were stayed there and had a nice, nice little hotel stay. <laughs> Uh, we were there three days uh, where they did uh, labs, um, pokes, prods, imaging, um, full body scans, trying to figure out what was wrong with my girl. And nothing was really catching as to it, it, it was not a knee infection. Uh, there was something more to it. Uh, that was in May. Um, we went to uh, Children's Hospital in um, July is when we were um, able to get into Children's Hospital. And um, then they gave us the diagnosis that was taller than she was. And I totally remember my mom writing down in the notebook and he said she had polyarticular juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And my mom said, can you spell that? Yeah, that's so a she, lot of syllables. Yes. <laughs> so she was writing down posse articular, I'm sorry, is what they um, diagnosed her with. Um, it, it was a scary two years because honestly, I, I had tried. I looked for Mary Bridge, trying to find a support group for children. Um, I called the Arthritis Foundation at the time. There was not one. In fact, it, I laugh about it now because the volunteers said, well, would you like to facilitate a group? And I'm thinking, I don't even know what I'm doing. How can I help others? Uh, but now I do. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was a, a scary two years until that arthritis walk. And when I saw that ad on TV, it was like a light bulb flipped. And, um, that was the beginning of this crazy journey we've been on. Yeah, no. And, 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 you know, 
I want to link this into to advocacy just very quickly. Yes. Um, that there is a shortage of pediatric rheumatologists in the United States, which I know both of you know more about than I do. But at this point, last I heard, there was 350 pediatric board certified rheumatologists in the entire United States. And like over 10 states don't even have a single one in their states. So, you know, even just getting into children's within two months, at first you think, oh my gosh, wait, no, that's way too long. But some places it's even like six months or a year, they have to travel or the people from Alaska have to fly down here. So, you know, but, but sorry, that's just a side note. I want to plug in somewhere into this episode, but also I just, I want to just empathize or sympathize with the, the guilt that you felt, you know, and um, when you found out that, you know, that, that your daughter had something wrong and you didn't notice it. I mean, goodness, you know, a chubby 18 month old, they all have big knees, you know, they all, I mean, so it's like, I'm tempted to just be like, it's not your fault. I know that, you know, that logically it's just emotionally hard not to feel like, oh, I should have, I should have known, or, you know, it's something that we all go through because we all want a reason. I mean, I, I found out a couple of years after my diagnosis, my mom was feeling guilty because she was like, well, it was actually, I mean, it was so adorable, but and I know she listens to the podcast. Hi mom. But she was like, I, I just feel so bad for drinking so much diet Coke when I was pregnant with you, like in 1980, like we just didn't know. And I was like, mom, it's not because you drink diet Coke. Like, you know, like my great aunt had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis actually. And you know, like it's, it's somewhere in my genes and it just got triggered by something in the environment. And, you know, but you can't stop people from trying to find a reason for things. So anyway, and I think, um, I, I actually, I want to give, I'll give Lisa a, a chance to share, um, a little more details about, yeah, that, that initial diagnosis journey and just, you know, okay, before I share, I'm so terrible at like having a thought that completes, but I was just going to say in the disability community, I know that there's a set of people who don't think it's appropriate to like center the parent stories when a child has a disability. And I actually kind of, I strongly believe that everyone's story is worth being heard. And, you know, when a child gets a health condition, it profoundly affects the adults in that child's life. And that story I believe should be heard. So I'm just, but for those listening who are like, and I also feel that I have a little bit of ethical dilemmas. I really want to, I I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. I like by training. So I want to interview all the kids with arthritis, but it gets a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more tricky because you know, um, it's, it's hard to consent to something being shared publicly when you're young, you don't really know what you're agreeing to. So, so anyway, but I just want to acknowledge that, like, I'm sharing, I want to know your experiences as mothers and parents, but I'm all, you know, that you're also, you're also affected by this. So anyway, okay. Now I'll let you talk. <laughs> totally fine. I agree with everything you just said. Um, I really feel like it is a whole family, you know, journey. You know, it isn't just the child who goes through it. It's all of us. So um, when he was 18 months old, uh, he couldn't get out of his toddler bed. And we couldn't figure out why. We're like, why am I carrying you to the living room every day? Why can't you get up? So he, he said, or it was kind of like he couldn't walk. So I'm thinking, okay, are you giving yourself a dead leg when you're sleeping? You know, are you just like sleeping really weird and like cutting off circulation so you can't walk? And that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, and then one day we noticed that, and again, chubby legs, right? We finally noticed that his um, left knee looked like, like a golf ball or like a um, 
tennis ball. And we're like, whoa, how did we not notice that? Um, my husband, Jack, and I. And um, then we noticed that while he, he wasn't using his fingers on his sippy cup, he was kind of like this, you know? And so we thought, oh, he's just very fancy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're having tea. No, we realized that um, his two fingers on his left hand were um, swollen like bowling pins. And we, again, as Courtney said, how did we not notice this? Why didn't we realize there was something more going on? We didn't put the knee and the fingers together, you know, and then there was that aha moment. And I was talking to my mom about it. My mom is, you know, she has a scientific background and probably like looks up medical diagnoses for fun. <laughs> she just, I don't know. She's like a fountain of knowledge. Um, again, like Courtney said, maybe a bit dangerous. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> but no, she had actually heard of juvenile arthritis. I had never heard of it. I did. I had no clue kids could get arthritis. All I knew about was really osteo and, you know, rheumatoid, adult rheumatoid. So, um, you know, that day when we realized these things, oh, there's something here, um, said, okay, I'm taking him into his peds, his pediatrician got him in pretty quickly, which we were very lucky. We were also very lucky that his pediatrician knew about juvenile arthritis. A lot of the pediatricians aren't trained for this. They don't, um, it's not in their purview. It's not in their scope or realm of what they think of when they're looking, you know, a lot of it is uh, growing pains or, you know, um, what they had talked to Courtney about, but this particular pediatrician knew about juvenile arthritis and said, I want you to go to rheumatology at Seattle Children's. So we were very lucky. It only took us a couple months to get diagnosed, which is not usually the case. I will say we were one of the lucky ones from what I hear at camp and being an ambassador and talking to families across the country. Uh, we're one of the lucky ones that got diagnosed very quickly. They did the lab work, the x-rays. He eventually had MRIs. Which, by the way, speaking of the parent um, experience, the first time you ever see your toddler go under anesthesia for anything because they can't hold still during an MRI, the first time you experience that mask going on your child, it's very, very emotionally draining. It is so difficult. And they're all so wonderful with us. The nurses, the doctors have always been like, oh, you handled that great. You know, hugs to our dad. If dad's the one that's there, he's been really great too. He's taken on a lot of the responsibilities, um, which I'm lucky for as well. Um, but it, it's such an emotional journey. Um, I think besides seeing him go under for the first time, the worst, like really emotional part that Jack, my husband and I had was when we were told he had to be on a specific medication injected at home once a week, a two-year-old. How do you explain to a two-year-old that you're causing them pain to help with their pain and fatigue? That was the worst. We went home and we tucked him into bed and we cried that night in each other's arms, because it was just like, this is our life now. We have to, you know, essentially stab our child with a needle every week. Yeah. And, um, and five, 
five weeks a month because he would also have to get lab work as well. So it gets very serious very quickly with this diagnosis. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, and that the, that's a huge learning curve for you to have to learn how to do the injections. Did either of you have a needle phobia um, to begin, you or Jack or? Luckily, no, um, out of my sisters. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Luckily, no. Um, I've always been fine. I was one of the weird kids that was like, Oh, look at that. You know, I'm Um, the same. That's what's so funny. (laughs) I have claustrophobia. I'm very phobic about spaces, but I'm not at all. That's right. We share that, but needles. I'm like, man, man, like I've done dances and done, you know, but Yeah. yeah, it's just, everyone's different, but that would be, that's just another layer of it. Yeah. I mean, Jack isn't thrilled with needles. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't express it, but I know he, he doesn't like them. He, um, I think he does have a bit of a phobia to be honest. And so, um, it was hard for him, especially he's very much a, um, caretaker. He likes to fix problems. He's a mechanic. Mm-hmm. And so he can't fix it. And that, that to him is so difficult, not being able to fix the problem for his child. And um, Courtney, Courtney's nodding too. Has that been like a similar phenomenon in your life? As far as needles, no, I I don't have a phobia um, because being a veterinary technician, giving shots, um, IV therapy, uh, dry blood, um, that was no big deal. Uh, But the thought of giving a shot to my child was a different story. Um, Mm -hmm. Taylor was on oral methyltrexate for the longest time. And, um, she, Dr. Emery thought it would be best for Taylor to up the dose and uh, to up it, it would be better to do an injection rather than oral because Mm -hmm. it was so hard on the stomach. And so she was trying to give Taylor's tummy a break. And so, um, she wanted Taylor to get onto injectable, um, Taylor decided upon herself to do it for herself. And so um, she did her own injections of methyltrexate um, for the longest time. Uh, she was probably about 10, I believe, at that time. And so she was giving herself her own injections and I fully supported it and was going to help her if she needed me to do so. Um, after a while, it the methotrexate, uh, for those that don't know, um, is a, a chemo type drug. Um, it's such a smaller dose versus what, of course, a chemo, a chemo patient would receive. But um, they often feel very nauseated on this medication. Um, canker sores can happen. Um, uh, so just kind of mild um, symptoms, but enough to make life miserable. Um, Taylor would often do her injections on the weekend, uh, which made the weekend horrible, but at least she could get to school and function at school Monday through Friday. Um, So she chose to do the injections then. After a while, the injections just uh, were just too much for her. And so she went back to the next time we went in, saw Dr. Emery at Seattle Children's. Uh, She said, Dr. Emery, I said, she said, I can't do these injections anymore. I want to go back on the tablets. And here's this 10-year-old little girl that's being very much an advocate for herself. I was very proud of her and love Dr. Emery so much because she listens to the kids. In fact, she uh, would often ask the child um, the question and then mom, dad, is that right? Uh, Just double checking back with us to make sure if that was the correct answer. But she always 
uh, responded to the child and asked the child and communicated with the child so that they felt they were being heard, which I loved. I love that's that. And that's really a best practice, you know, in, in all of, of pediatrics, but it certainly doesn't happen a lot of the time. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I just wanted to jump in and agree with Courtney on a few things because, um, similar stories, you know, um, I will say it actually was, um, worse, um, for Kyle on his stomach. Um, so he would get nausea every week. Um, not only would he work himself up in the fear and a lot of it was anxiety and we kept telling him, let's just breathe, you know, let's count down, let's do all the things. Um, we basically had to start almost surprising him (laughs) because if you let it go for too long, they work it up, work it up, work it up. And then, you know, they, you know, vomit right after, um, sometimes during, and it's, you know, you can't have your child, um, going through that while you're trying to inject them or right after, you know, and it, it was such a horrible experience for all of us. Um, once my second child was born, um, they're three years apart and, uh, he was old enough to walk. We would start sending him to his room. So he wouldn't be in the room because it was just, it was such an ordeal. You know, one of us would have to hold him down and then one of us would give the injection and it, it was such a nightmare. Yeah. And then you have, oh, sorry, go on, keep going. Oh no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I just, it's striking me thinking about you're going through all these experiences at home. And then I know it for those like me diagnosed with adult rheumatoid arthritis, it's people still have all these misunderstandings. So you try to explain to people, okay, I have this thing and it's like an autoimmune disease. It has the word arthritis in it, but it's actually a lot bigger. So it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. you're saying to their, maybe to their school teacher or to your friend or to your family, oh, you know, Kyle has juvenile, you know, polyarticular, whichever one it was at the time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, was it, did you feel like anyone else could understand what you were going through at that time other than your- Absolutely not. Very isolating. Um, He was in a troop at the time and they just did not understand. You know, we even did like a presentation to explain it on one of the meetings because, you know, these are just things that most people- it's, they have no clue about anything like this. Um, not just because when you think of arthritis, you're thinking, oh, painful joints, you know, take some meds, right? You know, that's, that's kind of how I felt people were looking at it. I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> this is an autoimmune disease. He missed so much school because he would get sick all the time. Not only is it on a, an autoimmune disease, but also they're on immunosuppressant suppressant drugs. So their systems just, you know, are being hit left and right. And, uh, they just, they get, he would get sick more often than the other kids. It would last longer in him. And so we had to make arrangements with the school and we could talk about that for years, but you know, (laughs) that's, um, such a huge thing for all of our families too is trying to explain it to school officials. Yeah. I've been horrified at some of the things I've seen, even I have to say from other occupational and physical therapists, you know, documenting things like, Oh, I observed the child playing on the playground for 15 minutes. Therefore they don't need accommodations Eh, wrong. (laughs) Like a dynamic condition that changes frequently, you know, characterized by flare-ups and exacerbations 
and maybe little periods of quiet disease activity, you cannot just observe a child for 15 minutes and say, anyway, so, you know, it's preaching to the choir. So, you know, it is, it is huge. The repercussions of, of, you know, teachers and family members and, you know, other loved ones, you know, uh, coaches understanding this. And I know that's why you're both such un- incredible advocates, by the way, when Lisa said she's an ambassador, um, maybe we'll talk about more about what that, that's an official, that's like ambassador with an A. So we will explain that. Stay tuned. Ooh, that'll give you incentive to stay. If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Tuned till later. But yeah, so let's talk more about the camp now. I know you kind of already sprinkled that in earlier, but, um, you know, so we're setting the stage here. You're obviously going through this very isolating experience. Um, so what, yeah, what were some of the, um, gosh, how do I even ask a question? I mean, what was, what was, what were your first few camp experiences? Like when we start from the beginning, how about you, Courtney? Uh, well, the first camp, again, like I said, uh, we started, it was in 2004 and um, it, there was about 16 families. So very t- tiny uh, camp. We were at a YMCA camp, uh, Camp Seymour, I believe. And um, it was 
not actually a, a very good camp for us as far as um, the facilities. Um, the, it was a very rolling, um, uh, kind of sprawled out uh, camp. It was very pretty, but um, it just didn't work for us as far as arthritis families. Um, so we've grown and then moved into different um, camps. Um, we had gone then to Camp Baraka, which actually happens to be the same camp that we're going to be back at again this year. Um, it's changed names. It's um, Camp Black Diamond. Um, so they, um, we were there for quite a few years, honestly. Um, and as I said, our, our camp grew and grew and grew and grew. And uh, so uh, unfortunately we had to find different um, campground at that point because Camp Baraka had, uh, we outgrew it. Um, so we were in a different camp from there, um, Camp Warm Beach, which was wonderful. And um, we were there for many, many years and it was great. Um, COVID hit. <laughs> uh, we had uh, so much of our camp planned out in 2020 that we were able to switch it and flip it to a virtual camp, uh, which was great. And it was nice to be able to put that on. Um, but it just didn't have that magic that arthritis camp does. And it's so hard to describe it other than magic. Um, when the kids get together, they almost forget that they have arthritis for the weekend. And that is such a gift to be able to give a child to help them forget. Uh, the parents get together and um, we have a lot of classes that uh, we go to and uh, we bond as well, tell stories about our kids and um, deal with how did you do with this medication issue? And how did you do with the shots? And when did you get this? And like Lisa was explaining, yes, you've got some very valuable time with a very knowledgeable doctor that um, gives you everything that they can possibly give. And the nursing staff at Children was grade A. I mean, the best of best nurses. So I always felt that Taylor had um, the best care. I'm never worried about her care. And um, we've always had great um, help and, and support, which was wonderful. But the support that you get at camp when you meet these other families and you're dealing with these issues together and just have that bond. Like Lisa said, that's my family. That's my tribe. And um, Taylor's felt that way uh, growing up with this disease. It's all she's ever known. And so um, being with these other families that are like her, where she can be herself and not hide things or um, disclose things um, if she doesn't want to, she can just be herself. And that's what camp means so much to me. Um, I'm happy that we started it in 2004. And when COVID took us out, um, I was fearful that it wouldn't return. Uh, there was rumor that it wasn't going to happen, but um, some of our family moms got together and um, the mama bears um, have fought um, blood, sweat, and tears pretty much <laughs> to get this camp to occur. And um, it is, and I am so excited for it to return. Um, I can't even put into words how excited I am. Oh, oh my gosh. That was, it's so powerful. And it's just, it's the, it is the one place they don't have to explain themselves. They don't have to explain the fatigue. They don't, they just, everyone's coming from the same perspective of understanding that, that 
you know, that what the condition is and what the challenges are. And yeah. And the, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal that for those who don't know that these camps are kind of, they, we call them camps and they feel like a camp to the kids in terms of the traditional camp kind of activities and there's skits and there's a talent show, which is amazing. But there, there's also, like you mentioned, the education sessions. So to me, it's almost like a little bit of a blend of like a mini conference, like an educational conference of doctors and social workers and counselors and occupational therapists and physical therapists come in, um, uh, fellows, rheumatology, pediatric rheumatology fellows come in and give these sessions and the parents and kids are separated for a while, which is so important. So that you know, the parents, you're, you're working so hard to hold it together as a parent for your child. Then you're able to sit in a circle with other parents and finally just let it all out. Right. I'm sorry. I'm just, you're the ones that have gone, I, I've gone through this as a volunteer, but you're going as a parent and a volunteer. So anyway, Lisa, what, what, what would you add to that? <laughs> so Yes, to all. Um, it really, it, it's a perfect way to describe it as a hybrid between a conference and a camp um, because the education tracks are so amazing. They cover everything from emotional health, you know, which is such a big, important piece to school issues, to uh, current research, to talk with a doc. Do you have any questions? And really like the science for the kids of, you know, what's going on in their bodies or in their siblings' body you know, and um, why, you know, it is the way it is. So these sessions are so amazing for both parents and kids. I can't even describe it, except that I can say that as parents, we always need a lot of tissues in the room <laughs> because as you're bonding, you're also just feeling so many emotions. There's huge relief, you know, oh my gosh, you actually understand what I'm talking about. You actually know what I've been going through. Um, to, well, yeah, we have to deal with this, you know, so it's just, it's really the most amazing weekend. We always tell everyone it's our favorite, our favorite weekend of the year as a family. We just love that weekend because it's so good for all of us. Kyle run off with his friends, just like, you know, even if he hasn't seen them since the last catfish camp, they just take off right where they left off. And it's like, okay, bye. See ya. <laughs> they're, they're off, you know? So it's just such a great, um, kind of like a family reunion every year. Um, but yeah, I would just say like my first few times was just so eye-opening at all the different aspects of the disease and what, you know, what possibly can come with it and what we've been dealing with. And we didn't even realize, you know, like I said, the fatigue, um, and, uh, just, I got so much advice on, um, different avenues to search, like with school, I didn't know what a 504 plan was, you know, and that's been a huge part of it. Um, yeah. So. I mean, yeah, it's really like this blend of like, it's like arthritis school, like you're learning all this <laughs> stuff. And then it's like, I guess these intensive like support groups, you know, where you're sharing your emotions and learn, and then you're learning these practical tips alongside that. And then just having experiences with your family, because it is the whole family is invited, even the siblings that may not have, you know, um, a health condition and it, and it can help them to see, oh, it's not just my sister or my brother, all these other kids are also, you know, um, experiencing this as well. And, yeah, it's, it's really amazing. Oh, shoot. I, I just lost my train of thought, but I was, oh, I was, 
nope, that I lost. Oh, I was going to say, and I remember, um, cause I've spoken on the parent track a few times and I think what, what can be really delicate is, um, you know, social comparison is something that happens within like all human groups, right? So like the kids, like the teenagers, especially it's like, everyone's comparing themselves, like, you know, who's prettier than me or who's, and that, that's normal human stuff. Right. But it happens in health, in health disability communities or health condition communities. It happens as well too. Sometimes you're like, wow, you realize, wait a minute, we kind of, we have it worse than most people when you talk to others or you realize, oh, we have it better than most people. Like I've, ha- I've seen that in like the room to thrive support groups that I facilitate. Sometimes people are like, okay, I'm kind of recalibrating my idea of how bad my suffering is. Does that make sense? So has that been kind of, um, has it, it can, it can just be overwhelming. You go, like you mentioned so many emotions at once. Right. And like realizing I'm grateful that it's not worse. Cause now I'm seeing this other family where they're, they're in a worse situation than, than ours. And, but then you're also, but then you're like, but ours is still difficult and that's okay to feel that that's difficult. And so it's a lot. <laughs> Did you want to say something more Lisa about that? Uh, yeah, I can start with that. I just, you, before I forget, cause I'm really forgetful too. And I think yeah. the last note, I forgot my train of thought and I had more to say, but oh, good, good, who knows good. where it went. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like, um, I think that was a big one for Kyle, you know, realizing like, oh, there are other people dealing with stuff like me because he had, oh, that's what it was. I just reminded myself. Um, he had huge social anxiety, enormous, you know, wants to be a wallflower in class, doesn't want to be noticed or talked to. Um, and even in the group he was in, in that troop, um, it was just, he would get upset when it was picture time, like to the point where he'd throw a fit. And it, it was really difficult to figure out what was going on. And we're like, oh, okay. We started realizing, I think it's that feeling of different or other, or not as physically capable, you know? And so I think that played a lot into his emotions as a child, But going back to the positives of Catfish Camp, one year, and I know you'll probably both remember this, Jack and I were just over the moon, so excited. Um, One of our lovely older teens, um, Casey, came up and was just looking around at at dinner time before the talent show saying, hey, does anybody want to be in my magic show with me? Yeah, yeah. See, you're remembering. And um, Casey came over to our family and asked, and Kyle's like, yeah, sure. Okay. And Jack and I looked at each other like, what? <laughs> you do realize that's on stage, right? In front of the whole crowd, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. I'll do it. And we were just like so nervous. And then they call Casey and they both go up there. And Kyle just like, I love you, Casey, but he kind of stole the show <laughs> being such a little ham he was what like seven or eight years old at the time I think he was eight maybe at that point and we just cried like seeing how comfortable he felt and how amazing a feeling that was to see our child with severe anxiety go up on the stage because he felt comfortable because this was our catfish family and it was just incredible um that's amazing your current point I have no idea where I was going with that (laughs) <laughs> oh no, that's okay. That you're in good company here. Yeah. And Courtney, yeah. what, what would you add to that? Or and do you want to share any other memories from camp? 
Yeah. Oh, so many memories. So many. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, I do have a funny memory that I'll talk about in just a second, but I did want to say um, the nice thing about being as a family camp is, like you were saying, Cheryl, that um, some of the siblings um, get to kind of realize, oh, my brother's not faking it. You know, he really is having some troubles or, oh, that's why my sister can't empty the dishwasher and it has to be my turn all the time. And so the siblings kind of... Um, feel a little more empathy um, towards their sibling when they realize, oh, they're not faking it. The, the, you feel that too. And you feel that way and you feel that way. And so it just kind of opens the sibling's eyes a little bit. And, and arthritis is definitely, I truly feel, and we've all kind of mentioned it, a family journey. Yes, it happens to the child, but the whole family feels it and we, we try and we want to try and fix it. Like you were saying with Jack, um, Mike and I feel the same way, you know, how can I make Taylor feel better? Um, what can I do to help her? I can't take this away from her, unfortunately, but what can I do to make her feel better? And um, so it's just nice to be able to go to the camps to uh, feel that way. Um, my funny story is, so Taylor um, and one of the other families that at original camps that we went to, um, they had, and this is Joanna's idea, she brought the um, sticks that you break and the, the neon sticks that glow, glow in the dark sticks. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. That's what I'm trying to think of. And so um, Joanna had bought a bunch of those for the kids, like, you know, it would be a lot of fun. Well, um, Case or Cody and Taylor uh, decided to bite into them. And we were trying to figure out what is the chemical component of this <laughs> glow stick? Is it going to cause them harm? Do we need to call poison control? <laughs> that might be a new one to put in the textbooks. Yeah. yeah. Does, <laughs> does glow stick material interact with juvenile idiopathic arthritis medications? Yeah. Well, we we were in bunk beds and I was on the bottom bunk and Taylor was on the top bunk. And so Taylor wanted to say something to me that night. <laughs> so she leaned over the bed and this Cheshire cat <laughs> started talking to me <laughs> with a glow stick. So that's my funny fam famous glow stick story from camp. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> this, is, this is actually great. I would love to hear any other of your favorite memories from camp. Like either it can be like those, you know, the, we definitely have many tissues that are around oh in the parent conversations. And I, I, I can share one qu just quick. I know I'm giving, obviously this is for you to share your stories, but when, when I, the first year I volunteered at camp, I really didn't know what to expect. And I had been in medicated remission for seven years. And I didn't realize that that wasn't the norm, you know, like I thought that everyone, oh, well, they came up with the biologics in 2003. So everyone's doing well. Like I, I was very simplistic. Like I hadn't gone to occupational therapy school. I didn't know. So I was like, oh, they're like, we saw your swing dancing video. I had a video called dancing with arthritis on YouTube. <laughs> and they're like, you seem like somebody who would like to talk about this and like has no shame. And I'm like, yes, I am <laughs> perfect. So I came and talked at camp and I had this whole speech to tell the parents about, you know, what it was like being diagnosed and going through my twenties. Um, you know, it wasn't the same, it's not the same as being a child with it. Right. I grew, I had 
I was very quote unquote, you know, able-bodied. I was captain of my college soccer team. And that, that was a different experience going from inhabiting that body to suddenly feeling that body breaking down. But anyway, the point of this is that I share that. And, um, and, and then, you know, afterwards I thought I had made all these great points and a couple of the parents come up to me. They're like, it's just great to see that you're just out there like swing dancing and having fun. And like, at the point at that time, I thought like, wow, I can't believe that of all the things I just said that I was trying to be so smart and so wise that that's what they're like. You're just living, you're, you're living a life, like a full life. And now I realize what they meant by that, right? It's like, that's what your dream is for your child is to grow up and be able to just, if they want to swing dance, swing dance. If they want to play the flute, play the flute, like not to be burdened or, um, you know, your world becomes smaller and, and lessened your abilities due to your health condition. But at the time it was just, it was, it was like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize that these things I'm even taking for granted, even despite my health condition, that they're impacting, they're having a, a positive effect on people and giving them, you know, some, some hope that, you know, if the medications can work for them, maybe they can, you know, jump around and dance around too. But, but anyway, that was, and my other favorite memories is just s'mores because I have love sugar. I know sugar is inflammatory to all the dietitians listening. I eat sugar because it makes me happy. So <laughs> the s'mores and the can and the, and singing the songs, but, but what about you, Lisa, any other just memories that stand out? Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, I mean, I love the talent shows and the s'mores and the songs. Um, it's, it's, I, I think just um, the people, you know, and the bonding experiences, the time with parents, time dancing with you in the audience <laughs> of um, at s'mores. Um, I, I, like, there's just too many, you know, it's all good. It's all important. I love the parent sessions the most, but then um, Saturday night with the talent show and the art corner, which is incredible. That's part of it. So we have like the stage talent show, but we also have an art corner um, for everyone to display, which there's so much amazing art every year. Um, and Courtney is kind of the one that implemented that. And I just love it so much. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like um, one of our volunteers uh, that, can just call out across, hey, burrito, <laughs> and everybody knows it. So we have certain camp songs we've been doing for so long that the kids just respond to it. And um, his name is David. Hey, David. Um, but all the kids know him as the burrito guy. <laughs> so it's just you you build like like a rapport with everyone. And it's just, you know, it just becomes fond memories for years to come. Uh, absolutely. And those are, again, if your children, if a lot of the children with juvenile idiopathic arthritis would try to access that experience of a camp, you know, that camp excitement, like my son who doesn't have any health conditions I know of, you know, we went to boy scout camp and a family camp, and it was so fun that we did all these things, but there wasn't, you know, a lot of considerations, right. For the kids with juvenile idiopathic arthritis would probably have to make, you know, not be able to participate in everything, but in this camp, the, you know, the catfish camp through the arthritis foundation, everything is designed for, you know, to be accessible. And, and anyway, so yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, what about, what about you, Courtney, any other 
uh, highlights. I mean, there's just, you have so, you must have this Rolodex of memories and from stop <laughs> back from 2004. That's almost like 20 years ago. <gasps> oh gosh. Yes. Um, one year we have a theme usually to our camps too. And, um, one year we had, um, a pirate theme and one of the, um, young men now, um, who's now married, um, Patrick Lease, he, um, was a little boy um, and his arthritis was so bad. It affected the um, lining around the heart, his heart. And um, he, he was told, his mom was told that um, they didn't know how long his life would be. And so they were trying to tell her quality of life, not quantity. And so for his fifth birthday party, they had, um, he was really into pirates. And so they had the biggest pirate party ever. Um, they got involved in um, the pirates that come to Seafair. And um, so they happened to have um, a big connection and they had those Seafair pirates come to our arthritis camp. And uh, we were all in the middle of this at Camp Baraka at the time, and we were all kind of in this central area, and the pirates busted in and took over and stole Joanna and kidnapped her. <laughs> so that was quite an exciting camp. Kind of scared some of the littles uh, because, you know, the, the noise and the ruckus and, and these big, scary pirate men, you know. Um, but it, it was a lot of fun, and the kids had a great time once they realized the pirates were okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay. And the other thing I was going to say is the Lawson family, they want one of the years they organized this activity, right? Where we, everyone wrote down on these yes. wooden blocks. What can you explain? What, what are those blocks? Yeah. So they do it pretty much every year now. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So you may have been at the first one, but they continue doing it. So they um, all do Taekwondo. And so what they do is they use the breaking boards um, for Taekwondo and everybody was able to write down something that they do not love about arthritis. <laughs> and um, so we'd all write it down throughout, you know, Friday evening, Saturday during the day on these boards. Um, then Saturday night for the talent show, the Lawson family would do an amazing Taekwondo presentation and they'd break all the boards. And so it was such a powerful thing just, and they would have it, they took pictures of all of them. So all of everything that we all wrote down um, would be up on the screen. They did like a lovely slideshow of every, everything written down and we'd see them being broken. And then we'd take those and take them to the fireplace or the campfire and we'd throw them in the fire. And it was just kind of like a, ah, you know, we all just kind of sighed like, oh, if only, you know, but it's it was such, so it's such good. a beautiful moment, such a beautiful moment. Yeah. And I actually, so in 2015, I volunteered at the camp when Charlie, it was either 2015 or 16. He was either barely one, not one year old yet, or one year old. I can't remember <laughs> very serious brain fog, but I've took a picture. I so I could look at this picture and see when I was taking it. But anyway, of the, of the wooden board that I had drawn on. And it just said, it says a little drawing of me holding Charlie and it says, ouch, hurts to pick up my baby. And I just, and I just, I, it was so simple, right. But it was like, 
I was just in tears watching that, you know, even as, as a adult, again, you know, with, with adult rheumatoid arthritis, I was having a postpartum flare up that kind of took a long time and not kind of, it took a long time to get back on track with my disease, getting my disease back under control. And that was so painful, but it was like, you know, being, I just felt so grateful to be able to be part of that. It was so cathartic watching them and these little kids and they, how many kids in their family have arthritis? Like four or three, or no, some of the families it's, they have multiple kids with uh, so arthritis. And so to see these little kids breaking these boards, I was just so incredible. Sorry, but I just, you know, we're going to put for those listening who might be interested in these juvenile arthritis camps, um, family camps, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to the master list on the arthritis foundation, because I know we have listeners from all over the country. And then, um, also a specific link to the one that's going to be in the Seattle area. It's about an hour South, maybe 45 minutes South, right. In Auburn. Um, but, um, but in jet, so make sure, so we'll definitely check those out. And there's, for those who might get confused, there's also the JA conference, which is a larger gathering, um, from people across the country versus the more local camps. And, um, so anyway, but they're both great. I've only been to the Keystone one of the JA, the hundred year celebration or 50 year celebration one, but that was really great. Um, and so in, one question I always like to ha- give people towards the end of the interview is, um, what advice do you have for people newly diagnosed? So in your case, I guess it would be parents of children, you know, newly diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis. I know it's so hard to put it into like a, a, a sound bite, but what, what, what are some of the words of wisdom you'd want to share? Who wants to go first? <laughs> Courtney, go ahead. Sure. Um, again, going back to when Taylor was diagnosed, um, it was very scary, very dark. Um, I really think I went into a clinical depression, honestly. And um, I just, I couldn't find any support. I couldn't find, like Lisa said, somebody to understand what we were going through. Um, I know my family uh, felt for us, of course, but they just didn't understand. Um, and often my brother will tell me, my oldest brother, Chris, he says, um, I sometimes forget that Taylor has arthritis because of all the stuff that she does. And she's so active in school and does well in school. And um, she even played lacrosse <laughs> sophomore, junior and senior year of high school. Um, and this was after she had a Lafort surgery, which is a um, very comprehensive jaw surgery, basically breaking her jaw into place in different places, putting it back together again with titanium plates and screws is what happened in August 4th of 2014 <laughs> uh, in spring that next year, um, Taylor said, mom, I'd like to play lacrosse. And I said, okay, we've never played that before. Um, what's involved? What's the safety here? Things like that. She told me, well, shin splints. Okay. Makes sense. Mouth guard. Oh, definite. Um, and then she said, um, and that, that really was it as far as the equipment. I'm trying to remember if there was anything else. Um, and I said, but what about a helmet? And she says, oh, no, no, no. Only the goalies wear helmets. And I would like, uh, I would like to think so, yes. And I said, now, wait a minute. Isn't this the sport where they run up and down the field hurling a hard ball with sticks? 
And she says, yeah, mom, that's it. That's it. And I said, no, we're not doing that. So then uh, she said, mom, I really want to play this game. You know, some of my friends are playing. I really want to get into this. And I honestly forgot that years and years and years ago when she was diagnosed, I made a promise to myself that I was going to let her do whatever she wanted to do, whenever she wanted to do as far as activities, because I didn't want to limit her. I didn't want to stifle her creativity. I didn't want to... um, stifle her childhood. I I wanted to give her as much opportunity as she could that her body would allow, because I didn't know if there was going to be a time that her body would not allow it to happen. And so when she was telling me she wanted to play this lacrosse sport, I'm thinking, are you crazy? And so um, I thought, okay, compromise. If Dr. Egbert, her oral surgeon, felt that she could play this sport, then I would abide and we would let her play. So she went up to Children's Hospital. Mike, my husband and her went up and they had a a regular routine visit with Dr. Egbert. And he asked the same questions. What are the safety equipments? And so Taylor told him and he said, uh, what about a helmet? And she says, no, it's illegal for women lacrosse team to wear helmets where boys, um, they do. And it's almost a totally different sport, I feel from boy lacrosse, men's lacrosse, from women's lacrosse. Um, They have different rules. They have different different equipment as far as sticks even. Um, The the men's sticks are longer. Uh, It's it's just really interesting. Anyways, Dr. Egbert was saying, um, helmet, no helmet. I don't think that's right. I, I think you really should play with a helmet. And so she talked more and more to her doctor. And again, I'm glad he listened, but I was shocked as heck when he said, okay, I'll let you do that. And I, Taylor was coming home. They were driving home. She called on the phone and said, mom, guess what? Dr. Egbert agreed. And I thought, was he high? <laughs> Where did he ever agree to play? Let her play this game because now I'm going to have to let her play. And so she signed up. Um, she played again sophomore year on JV team. Junior year, she made the swing team, which meant she played JV and uh, varsity sport games and made it up to varsity and lettered in the sport at Bellarmine. Um, and also had a very high GPA, which we're very proud of, all while dealing with flares and major surgeries and medications and whatnot. So um, lesson learned, um, definitely let your kiddos try what they can, um, get support. Um, Like Lisa was saying, mental health is so, so important. Um, If your mental health is not right, your physical health is going to suffer, vice versa. So that's my biggest pieces is get involved get mental health for you, your family, um, find your tribe to grow with, to flourish with. And that's, that's about my best advice. That's, that's wonderful. I always say with respect to therapy and mental health, I wish I had gone to therapy earlier. I didn't go until I was postpartum. And, you know, I think it was cause there's such a, there's so many efforts about postpartum depression and, you know, normalizing going to therapy after that. I didn't think 
rheumatoid arthritis was bad enough of a reason to need therapy, you know, oh, I'm, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I was like gaslighting myself, you know? So yes, absolutely mental health. And I love that story about, you know, letting her set her limits, I guess. I mean, I think as a mom, I'm terrible at that. So I'm listening to you being like, okay, I have to be more like that because my son wants to play football and I'm just like, no, but anyway, sorry, but they do at least wear helmets, but, oh, that's wonderful. I know she's, I mean, I'm, I know it's cliche to say, but like these kids and my fellow people with rheumatoid, adult rheumatoid arthritis, it's like the strongest people I know. I mean, really, it's just incredible um, what they, what, what people you do. We go, we kind of all have a stubborn streak. I have to say. <laughs> I think it's stuff. earned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like stubbornness can get you a lot of good places in life. It can get you some bad places too. So yeah. What would you say, Lisa? Um, I would say, first of all, listen to your doctors, listen to your kids' doctors. If you need to get second, third, fourth opinion, that's great. Um, don't let, you know, people on the internet, or as we were saying earlier, even family um, railroad you and gaslight you, you're hearing from the experts in the field, you know, and whether you disagree, that's okay. But I would say trust in the medical professionals, because really, um, they're the ones who are going through it. There's so much ongoing research and new medicine. Yes, medicine changes over time. And just from when um, Kyle was first diagnosed, um, they were saying, oh, no, he shouldn't be like riding a bike or doing tap or anything like that, you know, and then we get to a newer rheumatologist and they're like, oh, no, he, he totally should be exercising. And so things are going to change. And um, the ones in the field are the ones who are keeping up. So I'd say definitely um, seek as many professional opinions as you feel that you need to. Um, and don't let other people talk you out or make you feel guilty for following doctor's orders. You know, you're in the know, you're the one going through it. You're the one, your family is going through it. You know, trust yourself. Don't guilt yourself. Um, also, as you were talking about gaslighting, I always try to remind myself, like when I'm talking about it, you know, whether I'm venting on Facebook or to friends or, you know, um, whatever it may be. Yeah, there, there are more deadly, more serious diseases out there. Absolutely true. But this is still a difficult journey. And let yourself have that grief and have that, um, you know, emotion. It's okay to, you know, complain. It's okay to be upset. Don't let people tell you, oh, well, it's just arthritis. You know, that's, that's not it. It affects our whole lives. You know, it has since he was little. He doesn't know a life without arthritis. Um, it's made him very strong. Uh, it's made him a, a self-advocate. He comes with us to the advocacy meetings, which I would like to touch on a little more. Um, but, you know, you have to let yourself feel those feelings and not feel guilty. And I would say also sign up with the Arthritis Foundation because that's how I met my tribe as Courtney said, um, and you know, all these events are so empowering. Arthritis walk, you know, here we are, we're all walking together, um, all generations walking together for research funding, you know, um, the camps. I mean, I can't describe, we've 
Courtney said magic. I think that's the best word to use. They're magical, the most magical weekend, you know? And so I would say, get in touch with the Arthritis Foundation, become a member immediately. And, you know, they show you the research too. There's so many things on the website that you can look into. So you don't feel alone and you don't feel confused and, you know, um, like you don't know anything. But really, yeah, I would say trust yourself, um, trust in the professionals and find your tribe. Definitely. I love that. I love that. And yeah, can you tell us a little more about what it means to be an ambassador through the Arthritis Foundation? Yeah, I'll go ahead. Um, Courtney has been doing it longer than me. Um, she's amazing. Um, all the people who have come before me are my inspiration. Um, for me, it did start at camp. It started with Joanna Lindsay, as I said. Um, and there was one camp. See, I had a fear of public speaking. I really did. Um, I was a dancer for off and on for 20 years. No problems dancing on stage. There I am expressing myself. You give me a microphone, put me in front of people. I'm like, uh. <laughs> so actually um, volunteerism actually helped me come out of my shell. So I, I truly appreciate it. But Joanna said the most interesting thing because I was terrified. I'm like advocacy. Ooh, talking to people. Ooh, I don't know about that. Legislators. Ooh, that's scary. You know, important people with business suits and, you know, in Washington, D.C. and in Olympia here in Washington. Oh, my gosh. That's just really um, too scary. And she said, remember, you're their boss. They work for you. And that completely clicked in my head. And now as I talk to other potential advocates, which hopefully some of you will join, uh, <laughs> that's what I say, because really, yes, we elected them to do work for us. They're supposed to be working for us. They wanted to hear our stories. The best way that they know how to govern and how to legislate and pass things through is to hear the stories of real life impacts on people, their constituents. They want to know what's important to you and what needs to be done, how they can help. That's really the basis of what it is. You know, what do you need? And when we go into these advocacy meetings, basically you would... Um, uh, with the Arthritis Foundation, they'll help you set up a meeting, um, depending on how involved you are. But really what it is, is you go and you tell your story. And that's it. You know, the stories of how we were diagnosed and what it's affected and how it affected school and family. Um, that's all you need to do. It's really just telling your story. And a lot of people get into the weeds. Oh, I don't know what this bill number, I don't know, you know, how to describe it and what we're asking for. It's like, you know what, leave that to the ones who have done it before. If that's what you want, um, leave it to the arthritis foundation member that will be in the meeting with you. You can always have a member from the arthritis foundation with you. Uh, if you're, if you're like one of the only constituents that can show up, they will help you. And really you're just there to put a face to numbers because these um, legislators and their legislative assistants who really pretty much run the show, to be honest, <laughs> don't ever be upset if you get to talk to a legislative assistant instead of the actual legislator, because the assistants are the ones who really work on the bills. They, they show um, the, uh, the uh, government, the, um, gosh, the, wow. <laughs> they show the, the uh, legislative. 
representative. Thank you. Yeah. I'm like, what no, is that a- word I'm looking for? Yeah. <laughs> um, they show them what's important, you know, and they, if you are so impassioned and, and go to the office and you make the effort to talk about your child or even yourself, say, look, this is really affecting us. This is what we need. They're going to remember that. And they're going to remember that face and that story, and they're going to bring it to the legislator. And that's how we move bills. And that's how we get things done. We've actually been successful in the last few years. We got a really big bill we'd been working on for quite a while through. And it's just incredible. Um, It's taking some power back. You know, it's, it's restoring some sense of strength um, and courage um, that arthritis, you know, robbed from you. So I just, I can't believe that me of all people who used to be completely shy and huge anxiety would ever want to do something like this, but I love it. It makes me feel so much better that I can do this for Kyle and all the other people suffering across the country. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if there are other programs as well, so, but, and they're all a bit similar in the sense that they help you to identify what are these bullet points you need to talk to your representative about, you know, like when we did the one with the, um, in Olympia, the same year that the anti-vax people were there in person the same day, that was fun. 2019. Yeah. Um, but we, we, they give us the bullet points of, okay, we're going to advocate against, you know, unfair, you know, step therapy that's making people fail first. And this is why in our at state level, this is why we want you to pass X, Y, Z. Like you don't have to do the research on their own. They give it to you. Like Lisa said, and then there's also one through, um, and I'm going to put all these links in here, but through the American college of rheumatology, which mostly serves, uh, rheumatologists, doctors, and, and, but they bring together also the patients, uh, if they're advocates for arthritis event in Washington, DC, advocating at like the federal level and, and also arthritis foundation does bring people on the federal level. So it's, there's opportunities everywhere. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm similar to Lisa in, in that I I've never been shy to talk on stage. I always like to talk, but, <laughs> but I was very intimidated by the legislative process. And I was like, I don't want to talk to these scary, like politicians. Like, are they going to be like, go away little girl? Like, even though I was like 30, you know? Um, and it was like, like you said, Joanna, all, Joanna, Lindsay, we're going to like give her a little medal after this episode, but she said, yeah, they work for you. They represent you. They're representatives. So that helped me a lot too. But sorry, Courtney, what what, would you add anything to all of that? Almost definitely. Um, Thank you. Uh, Back in, again, 2005, six, I believe, is um, we had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. Joanna heard our story. She said, you got to go, you got to go. So she helped us get a scholarship. We ended up going to Washington, D.C., Taylor and I, and um, my husband ended up joining me um, because his um, boss said, this is so important. Your wife and your daughter are doing this. We're going to get you on a plane and you're going to go and you're going to be with them. So the three of us uh, were able to go and meet um, at that time, Patty Murray um, and uh, Norm Dix was a representative. And I forgot who our other person was at that time. Um, but uh, we went and we were able to tell Taylor's story. Um, she met Patty Murray and um, it was so cute. I have a picture framed on our wall of her and um, Patty meeting and um, Taylor was giving her a um, 
a, like a, a pretend dollar bill um, because it was talking about the funding that um, the Arthritis Foundation was trying to raise to help with education, with research um, and development and things like that. And um, so Patty had her arm around Taylor um, in a motherly, grandmotherly way. And um, it's the best picture. And I, and Patty even autographed it for Taylor. And so I framed that to show Taylor that you could be anything you want to be. And when you grow up and um, it just, I just wanted to show her that power um, that um, she could have. Um, so the advocacy has been really, really good. Um, I also wanted to share that there is junior ambassadors. So there are a way for the kids to maybe help find their voice and share their story. Um, Taylor has told her story so many times. Um, and uh, Ruma Pelosa um, at um, advocacy um, locally in Olympia and in DC, we've been to DC a few times um, sharing her story. And I think it's really helped her grow as a person. Um, like Lisa and myself, I'm actually a very shy introvert person. And so for me to talk in front of, like you were saying, powerful people, um, I get starstruck when I meet some of these representatives and senators and I'm walking in the halls of the where John F. Kennedy walked and walking on the ground where Martin Luther King gave his speech. And it just, the history there is just phenomenal. And it's very emotional weekend, um, but being able to share your story and just tell them, you know, what happened and what your child is going through and what your family is going through. And um, you mentioned earlier, Cheryl, about uh, there's only 350 pediatric rheumatologists for 350,000 kids that have some form of arthritis. Children's Hospital has seven of those providers, fellows, doctors um, that are able to see children. Um, at Seattle Children, they, of course, see Washington patients, but they also see Alaska because there are zero, zero uh, pediatric rheumatologists in Alaska. They either fly up to see patients or the patients fly down to Seattle Children's. Uh, Montana has none. Parts of Idaho have none. Um, Oregon, I think, only has a few. Um, so a, a lot of states travel to go to Seattle Children's Hospital to see our very overwhelmed, busy, hardworking seven providers and give them the care that they can give. So one of the, um, that we have been fighting for and trying to, uh, help the doctors uh, is a loan forgiveness. Um, so the Arthritis Foundation uh, was asking for pediatric uh, rheumatologists, um, if you signed up to be a rheumatologist, and if you said, yes, I will go in these areas that have no pediatric rheumatologists, their loans would be forgiven, which is amazing. I and mean, when you think about the years and years and years of college tuition, debt, <laughs> these providers have occurred, uh, accrued or um, 
and have it all washed away if they could go to an area that is sorely needed. Um, that was amazing. And yes, that one piece we've been working on since Taylor and Mike and I went in 2005, um, it, we had been that it was one of the asks that we had asked back then. And uh, it may be slow going, but once you get that momentum and things move, things happen. And one voice, one story can make such a difference. That's, that's incredible. And yeah, you, I mean, wow, you just, both of you, I can tell you've both been, you know, you're both very excellent uh, public speakers. And I'm, I'm shocked that you're both, I actually didn't know that about you, that you'd you know, both didn't like it previously. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's a, it's a personal growth opportunity <laughs> to share your story. And it's again, cathartic and it's also empowering because the American healthcare system can feel very disempowering. You know, you're at the mercy of people whose incentives aren't always your health. <laughs> the incentive is for them to make money. So um, I'm talking about the insurance companies, not the doctors. Um, so, um, cause they don't make any more money when we're on drug A versus drug B, the doctors don't. But anyway, um, so, you know, to say, take the power back in our hands and, and talk to these powerful legislators, you know, and, and share our stories is, is so powerful. <laughs> There's the word power again, but thank you both. <laughs> We've gone over the time I, I told you this would be. So thank you so much. I mean, I know we could all talk about this like literally forever, but I will put a bunch of links in the show notes and maybe, yeah, maybe we'll do a follow-up later on, but is there anything else you wanted to share or do you, if you have any public um, links where people can follow you or connect to you online, if you would like to sh shout those out, feel free to do that. It's okay if the last, one of the last people I had, she's a, um, a ARNP nurse practitioner um, at, at Seattle Arthritis Clinic. And she's like, I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't have any social media. That's okay too. But do you have anything anywhere you would wanna share anything else? Um yeah, I mean, I just, um, on Twitter, I just, you know, through all the advocacy um, that we do, and I agree with Courtney, by the way, going to Washington, D.C. was incredible and life-changing. Um, but I just um, kind of retweet a lot from the um, Advocate at Arthritis um, or Arthritis Foundation, Arthritis FND, I believe it is. Um, and... Uh, it, you know, that's, that's all for me. Like that's, that's pretty much, I just kind of regurgitate what the uh, um, Arthritis Foundation posts, but also, no, I do make my posts like after each meeting with um, a representative or a Senator or even local versus federal, I always thank them in a tweet, just so people know that they are actually meeting with their constituents and how much we appreciate it. Um, I've had the pleasure of, um, kind of being recognized by our legislators at this point. You know, I've met with Del Bene and Murray and Cantwell. And in fact, um, I have a picture of Kyle and his friend, um, the one he runs around with all the time, um, our other JA family friend, um, sitting on Maria Cantwell's lap. <laughs> so it's so cute. It's one of my favorite pictures. And yeah, it's just, you know, they're human and they're, it's, it's, it's a great thing to do just, um, but yeah, I'd say just follow them because you'll, you can actually see what they're working on and um, find out how to get involved because it really is like empowering. <laughs> oh yeah. And you can just write an email. I meant to, I'm glad I just thought of that. 
because I'm on the website right now, remembering, yeah, you mm -hmm. could, you could also, if you don't have to actually yes. meet, you, you could do a virtual meeting or you can literally just send an email to your legislator. They take it more seriously when it's from their constituent than when it's from the, you know, any, anyone else. So thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa, for taking the time. Uh, I know again, all, both of you are very busy and, um, and I just, I appreciate it so, so much. And, and Courtney, is there anything else you would want to say before we sadly have to wrap this up? <laughs> oh, I'm just so appreciative of you, Ms. Cheryl, and oh. um, allowing us to come on and talk to you tonight and share our stories and talk about our camp. Um, it just, it just helps us to um, do more advocacy, um, share the word, get the word out. Um, I, uh, like I said, when Taylor was first diagnosed, it, it was such a scary time. And if I can help one family avoid that or um, help get through it, I, I would really like to try and do that. So um, that's that's all. I'm just, so I'm really, you. no, I'm in awe of both yeah. of you. And I, as somebody who knows a little bit of the behind the scenes, it really truly is your blood, sweat, and tears that are making this camp happen this year. So I really, really am. Yeah. Just again, in, in awe of all the passion and all the work you've put in over many, many years, you know, year after year when you could have just said, Oh, well, you know, my daughter's in high, in, in college now. So, you know, I'm not going to be involved anymore. No, you're still involved, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's awesome. I mean, it, it really is um, inspiring to me. So thank you all. This is really, I really liked the walk down memory lane. We didn't even plan that, but I was like, this is great. Let's just share our favorite memories of camp. Like <laughs> there's so yeah. many more, we could do a whole episode of just favorite camp memories. Oh my gosh. So many. <laughs> and I would just say, you know, we're always looking for more volunteers 18 and over in the area and, um, still plenty of openings for families, you know, if you're, um, in the Washington, Oregon, Alaska kind of area, um, Alaska already had a camp, but Hey, come on down to Washington. We'd love to have you at our catfish yeah. camp and become part of our family. So this is not as officially arthritis foundation sanctioned mug, but my friend made this, it says, I'd rather oh. be at arthritis camp. And then I, I love a, that my adaptive arthritis friendly scissors are in my arthritis. Oh, in fact, I have to plug Miss Cheryl because I oh. was watching her podcast and I was oh. learning from her and I bought two pairs of those. And oh. so I use them for me because I have tendonitis with tennis elbow and it's really difficult. Um, and I do a lot of uh, crafting and my son, I got him the same scissors and he just absolutely loves them. So yeah, oh, that's for sure. Wonderful. We appreciate you too. <laughs> oh, I, and it's, it's just, again, it's so, I didn't even know I've said this a million times, but I didn't know when I went to occupational therapy school, how much I would learn about arthritis. I went to occupational therapy school for other, other motivations. And it's been, that's when one of my passions is sharing all these great, you know, life hacks and tips and tricks and mental health tips as well, because yeah, these are all just things that help us improve our quality of life, but I can't believe I'm going to be seeing you in person. Not too long. For the oh, I can't wait for the camp. It's going to be incredible. Lots of COVID precautions will be taken by the way, just FYI. Um, we're all very, very cautious about that, but, um, but you know, it's mostly outdoors and it's just, it's going to be incredible. So I'm excited.
Thank you both again. <laughs> I'm at the point of the, of the phone conversation where you're like, I love you more. No, I love you more. Okay. I miss you too. I, miss I you. always feel like that. Yeah. It feels weird just hanging up, but yeah. I, I, this is episode, I think 74, this episode 74. <laughs> I still, yeah, have no improvement, no improvement in my ability to end it. <laughs> That's okay. I have self-compassion for myself, maybe too much, but maybe just enough. So <laughs> I'll just say bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. We'll see. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.